who wouldn't want to pull other women along and make sure that they're successful and are able to really do the work that we know that women can do in EMS. I mean, those women who are just really in need of these services, really in need of these connections. So of course, it's one of the passions that I have in life is making sure that other women are able to be successful and uh, continue to grow in their career. Hello and welcome to another edition of EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and I'm excited to welcome my guests today because we have a brand new association out there that uh, you may want to pay attention to and indeed be a part of. And I'm delighted to welcome the team from Women in Emergency Services. And so I don't do the Robism thing of murdering last names, I'm going to ask these guys to introduce themselves. Uh, they're all friends of mine, but that said, who have we got on? Let's go with you first, Michelle. Hi, I'm Michelle Anderson. I am the Director of Administration for Lakes Region EMS in Minnesota. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Noyak, and I am the Founder and Principal Consultant for Apex 360 LLC. Um, prior to that, I've spent about two decades in uh, various leadership roles in EMS, first response, and healthcare. And I'm really excited to be here today, Rob. Thanks for having us. Hi, I'm Maria Bianchi. I am the CEO of the American Ambulance Association. Thank you for having us. And I'm just going to sit back and listen to Amy and Michelle talk about this wonderful organization they've started. It's a fledgling organization. The call for new members is out there. So let's get the origin story. Several, several months ago in early 2022, uh, an organization, and it's worth speaking about Civica Management for a moment. Civica is an association management company who, who operates the EMS Association of Colorado, for example. And the folks at Civica, and namely Ashley Montoya, who's the executive director of Women in Emergency Services, approached me and said, you know, Amy, is there, is there a need out there for an association that directly addresses the, the specific issues that women are facing in EMS? And my initial thought will, was, well, of course, of course there is, of course there's a need. And she said, let's go, let's go figure this out. Let's go collect some data Let's go find out whether there truly is a need and what exactly those needs are. So the team at Civica put together a pretty comprehensive survey and sent it out to over 75 female leaders and managers in our industry. And they collected some some really interesting perspectives and um, data that indeed helps support the the need for an association like this. So um, after we after we went through that process, we launched Women in Emergency Services, and we created the board of founding advisors. Um, a couple of whom are here today, myself and Michelle, as well as uh, Andrea Abbas and um, Martha Parabonio 
and Scott Moore. And uh, that advisory team is the team that works very closely with the folks at Civica Management Company and the founding advisors in concert with the team at Civica Management worked to establish the mission and the vision and the pillars of the association so that we had something to some ground to really stand on as we went out and sought our membership. So um, from that point, Civica and those of us here on the call and the founding advisors have been working to establish town hall events, um, have a presence at conferences, and really start growing our membership so that we can start doing the the real work that's um, that everybody is here to do on this on this association board. I will come back to uh, maybe some some aims, objectives, and the mission in detail in a moment, but. Uh, Michelle, you were you were an early uh, implementer, early getting on board. Uh, how did you get involved? I got involved by Amy uh, really just engaging me in a conversation about um, things that I see, things that I've felt, and and taking that survey and just asking if I would want to be a part of this organization. I, of course, just jumped right on board because who wouldn't want to pull other women along and make sure that they're successful and are able to really do the work that we know that women can do in EMS. I mean, those women who are just really in need of these services, really in need of these connections. So of course, it's one of the passions that I have in life is making sure that other women are able to be successful and uh, continue to grow in their career. Our third guest, of course, is Maria Bianche, who is the chief executive, as she's already told us, of the American Ambulance Association. And so I have to ask the elephant in the room association question for those out there that may be wondering, and sometimes I have to ask the tougher questions. Why another national association, though? You know, Rob, I, you know, in thinking about this, because we knew you would ask this question and wanted to, you know, really think through uh, why I was so excited when I met Amy at the annual conference and she bent my ear on this initiative. And that is, I think if you don't have associations that target specific goals, missions, and objectives, it can get lost in the noise. And I guess my cheeky answer would be, why not? Why not another association? People can choose and to join or not join. And that is actually the join. best answer of all, but keep going. Um, people can choose to join or not join. People can choose to support it. Um, but I think that it's imperative. We, we represent over 50% of the workforce. Uh, we're over 50% of the um, individuals in this country and in the world. And yet we are underrepresented underrepresented in EMS and even more grossly underrepresented in leadership. So I say, why not? And that's why the AAA wants to partner. Thank you for saying that, Maria. I think that uh, the AAA's already um, growing partnership with women in emergency services is a great match. And uh, a little bit later, we'll talk about uh, some of the awards and initiatives that are already being jointly uh, opened up to 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 our great women in EMS. And uh, I say that because I'm already nominating people for these various awards that are coming up. But uh, talk about uh, AIMS objectives and the mission statement then, Amy. Uh, take us into uh, what you got planned, what you got laid out, and then, you know, go on to, to where you want. It's the classic interview question, right? Where are you going to be in five years? 
to touch briefly on the on the mission of women in emergency services, we really wanted to create an association that supports and advances women's careers in this industry, all the way from from field providers to national leadership. And like Maria just spoke to, women in leadership are grossly underrepresented in the fields of EMS, in fire, in law enforcement, in uh, other emergency services. So this is a critical this is a critical focus for us. The themes that we focus on within women in emergency services are the four pillars that we created. And those pillars were derived directly from the surveys and the data extracted from the surveys that um, were sent out early on in this process. Those, those four pillars or the four themes that we focus on are empowerment, networking, mentorship and um, education and leadership development. So that's really where we're, that's really where we're moving towards right now is to create programming, to create resources that help support and lift up those four pillars. Right now, our focus is primarily on growing our membership. Once we have that membership in place, Um, we're going to start having some events and showing up at conferences and creating opportunities for mentorship and networking. And in fact, in, in 2023, we're really excited to announce that we're going to be creating and formalizing that mentorship program within the association. We're really excited to be offering these opportunities and resources for women in emergency services so that they have the the chance to take their careers wherever they would like to head. And I would just jump in and say that um, the baby steps are really important as we grow to make sure that we're doing this the right way and making sure that we're connecting well with our membership and and really giving them the value that they're asking for and those those items that they're asking for. Just want to cut back in there. This is maybe the question I should have asked at the top of the podcast women in emergency services. So the word medical is missing from that. So this isn't just open to EMS female providers or leaders or administrators. You're opening this up to the whole public safety world. Is that what I can assume from that? That's right. That's absolutely right. And that's by design. Um, we, We are opening this up. This association is available to women in fire, in law enforcement, in hospital settings, any other space where emergency services is present. So that can be counties and municipalities, can be your um, any public safety teams. Thank you. As I say, I should have asked that at the start. So if you're listening not only in the EMS One world, but also in the Police One world, the Fire Rescue One world, and the Corrections One world, which is all part of the Lexapol uh, universe, some people have a Marvel universe. We have a Lexapol universe with multidisciplined listeners. So if you're listening on any of those platforms, remember, this organization is for you as well. It's not just EMS. It's emergency services. So let's bring Maria back in. We talked about the partnership with the American Ambulance Association. And one of the first things that we've got going on is to identify some of our absolute female champions uh, out there that, that were there 
When EMS was forming, and uh, I'm running, of course, as you know, the California Ambulance Association, we have some amazing matriarchal leaders here, and I have nominated them for, for this particular award. But Maria, talk about what we're talking about here. Sure. So there was a recognition last year amongst many of the AAA leaders that, well, I'm going to shout myself out and my association, uh, in our last uh, awards class, there were no um, women awardees. And uh, so here I am at a meeting talking to Amy, uh, working with Michelle on a regular basis, and, you know, sort of looked around. And that's not to say we haven't had phenomenal awardees in the past that were women, but it just was startling to sort of, you know, you asked why another association, I would say, you know, in part, you know, that's one of the reasons why is that if you don't pay attention to it, it may not happen. And so coming off of a conversation with Amy, uh, and then interestingly enough, had one of my uh, women leaders, Julie Rose, who is a vanguard in EMS. Um, she recognized that there were just a group of women, grand dames, uh, who who really needed um, a place in sort of our Hall of Fame. And at first we were going to call it the Pioneer Award, but that seemed very dated and didn't really sort of explain explain or convey sort of these are women mavericks. These are women who not only um, did they start in, in uh, emergency medical services, which is the field I'm going to talk about years and years and years ago, but at a time where it was unheard of that women were even in business, let alone doing a business like this. So we decided to develop and design an award uh, you'll probably also be interested to know one of the things that we're really bad at sometimes in our industry, Rob, as you know, is celebrating ourselves. Uh, this is a group of people that tend to be extremely um, shy and very humble about their efforts. And so, you know, adding awards and doing more things that you need to do, I think, are are really important. And it came time for us to really value and appreciate and identify women. So we created actually two new award categories, the Women Vanguard Awards, which is for women in um, emergency medical services that have been involved in the industry and still in the industry for 35 years or more, which I think is important. And then also the EMS Next Award, which while it's open to uh, anybody, uh, male, female, LGBTQ+, um, uh, diverse group, also can identify the next generation of women leaders, which I think it's really important to sort of bookend both. So believe it or not, um, there are, you know, at first, I think when we were trying to figure out how to include this award category, it's like, are there enough? Well, there are more than enough. There are more and more and more than enough women, many of which, you know, you, when you think of some of our ambulance services in the past, you might think more about the brother or the husband who created that ambulance service. But actually, um, there were very, very many women who ran that ambulance service with their husbands, who worked with their brothers to create the ambulance services, and yet maybe didn't have their name out there. So maybe one could consider it, you know, um, maybe they weren't on the throne, but they were the power behind the throne. 
So that's why we created the EMS Vanguard Award. And it just seemed like a natural partnership to work with women in emergency services to create um, uh, some recognition and to use that as a platform for them to identify women leaders too. So let's do the plug for the award program. We'll put the nomination form or the link to the nomination form in the show notes. And if you know somebody that meets the requisite, the requirements, as Maria said, 35 years in EMS, click on and nominate somebody. And I'm also just going to do a quick plug for an amazing woman in EMS that I interviewed on this previous podcast, which is my interview with Melissa Harris from AmbiServe uh, here in LA and uh, listen to her backstory and uh, although she hasn't done 35 years, she is absolutely knocking it out of the park over here. So do go back in the catalogue and pick up my chat with uh, with Melissa. We're just going to take a second to take a break and have a word from our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioural health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Don't forget also, you can follow us on uh, many podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Amazon Music. And don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate and review us. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a like on the platform that you're listening to. So I'm chatting to uh, Amy Noyak, Michelle Anderson, and Maria Bianche. Let's just turn for a second to some current events and... Last week, Maria, we had some really important news from the omnibus or out of the omnibus. Obviously, we're looking to maintain the level of funding in order to just keep us all in business. But what's the latest, Maria? Uh, so last week, Congress in the middle of the night did release a over 4,000 page uh, document, the omnibus bill, with which is basically the 2023 budget for the federal government. And uh, it's that long because it includes defense, it includes health care, it includes uh, every, you know, sort of education, veterans affairs, and we're still dissecting and digesting. And we'll probably, the AAA will have a webinar uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks to discuss uh, some of the more details in there. But the major areas that the AAA and our members worked on with a number of partners was to get an uh, extension of our Medicare add-ons, which, as everybody knows, is a 2% urban, 3% rural, 22.6% super rural bump. And we did indeed get an, uh, an extension of those add-ons for two more years. So they will now expire on December 31st of 2024. We asked for five years because we... We do believe it'll take about five years for the cost collection data to come in. That was mandated in uh, legislation a few years back. Uh, so we will obviously go for another extension in the next congressional session. But for now, that was a huge victory that um, that those were extended for two more years. Along with that was a um, waiver um, for another two or three years, I believe, of the 4% PAYGO, which is a, uh, a reduction that was going to occur across healthcare 
uh, to pay for a number of items, and they did that waive that 4%. And then um, additionally, there was some information that we had worked on uh, to get ASPR to include language uh, to help fund EMS workforce shortage programs out of the uh, out of HRSA and the uh, department called ASPR. And that report language is in there and it stays codified in the legislation. So that was very exciting as well. Um, and that is really thanks to our partnerships with NAMT, uh, IFC, IFF, National Rural Health Association, uh, as well as our members writing thousands and thousands of letters and going to hundreds of meetings with their members of Congress to support these initiatives. So let's just break your answer down into parts, each part being numbered, because there's a lot of acronyms and abbreviations, and you and I both work in legislation for a living. But in terms of the the operators on the trucks out there right now, what does the extension of the extenders actually mean in real terms? In real terms, it means that the bumps that we received in our Medicare rates of 2% increase in urban, a 3% increase in rural payments, and a 22.6% increase in super rural payments will stay in place. Um, Those are um, Medicare add-on payments, as they call them, and they have to be renewed is probably the best word to use. Um, They expire over time. They're not permanent um, increases to your Medicare rates. And so we have to work on a regular basis to get them renewed when their cycle um, ends. And so that is uh, one of the major areas. Of course, the AAA is always working to make those permanent. Um, I think that everybody in ambulance, uh, ground ambulance services knows that those increases are not nearly enough to cover our costs of providing service. And so we're not going to stop there. That's what the cost data project is going to do is hopefully show um, that we are under reimbursed so that two and three and 22.6%, those increases are nominal when it compares to how much of our costs have increased in providing life um, saving care to our patients and the communities that we serve. But we, we need to keep fighting to maintain those while we wait for cost data to be collected. And we'll come on to cost data in one second, but it could have been devastating, particularly to super rural areas, if this hadn't have happened, of course, because if you're in a super rural area, and of course, Amy, you're in the wilds of Colorado, I know that having an ambulance service is an absolute essential, but calls are fewer, but distances and costs and expenses are much greater. And therefore, I think we are very grateful for getting what we got, although we want more, as you so elegantly explained, Maria cost collection again it's vital to understand how much we are worth as a business in order to demonstrate how much it really costs coming up in 2023 of course we have the ambulance cost data collection survey where pretty much anyone with the word uh, ambulance in their title has to submit the cost of doing business and uh, AAA is uh, all over this, as you would expect. And uh, next year, there are a number of workshops coming up around the country where we can explain to folk how this works if they're not 
already on the on the year one list but there's there's four years worth of cost collections and uh, i have to tell this story i was at a conference uh, not not a month ago where i asked somebody or i put up a list on the on the, the screen to say here's cost collections year one selectees who's on this list and hands went up and i went for whom on this list is this the first time you've heard about it and hands stayed up and that put the fear of pick your deity here into me and so uh michelle you're coming out to join us in january in san francisco to talk about how we do cost collections and do it well so why don't you tell us all about cost collections and and what's going on so i think you did a great job of summarizing it Um, we just have to really get all of the data that is the readiness of ems and what it costs to have that readiness of ems available to all of the people around us So that service that we provide costs us money whether we're on a run or not. And I think it's really important, especially for the smaller or volunteer services to jump on board. They're the ones who really have that higher cost that may not be as realized as as those of us who have uh, the 24-7, 365 fully staffed uh, ambulances. So it's really important for us to partner with each other and connect with each other and connect with those smaller services. We need to come together as an association, as a group, as EMS, and have one voice that tells the story behind who we are and how much it costs us to do this business. And Rob, if I could just dovetail for one second on that, two things that I just would like to add if you um, if you don't mind. One is along with uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year. We also provide service regardless of ability to pay. I like to say that we're the only healthcare provider group or supplier group in this country that really does provide universal healthcare. And uh, I think that's that's something that we need to even emphasize in our cost collection because we don't get any additional reimbursement for uncompensated care or charity care. And then number two is, I think sometimes, you know, and especially with associations, you know, the larger players tend to be in the leadership. They can afford the time and the talent. They can afford to support the organization. But the ambulance industry is primarily made up of very small providers. And I think sometimes that's missed in our collective world. You know, remembering that over 70% of all ambulance services in this country do 2,000 transports or less, um, Medicare transports or less. That is a very, very small amount. That means that you may be doing one and a half a day. Um, you know, two a day, um, three a day. Uh, some, I think the, the percentage is 50, more than 50% do less than 500 transports a year. So I just think that's really important because I think sometimes people look at us as this like sort of, you know, overrun by these very large ambulance services, um, but we're not. Um, communities tend to have very small ambulance services that, um, and those are the ones that we really need to ensure uh, report their costs. Because without those, I think that um, our data will look very skewed and will not accurately reflect that that volume number is a real driver of cost. And Maria, if I can, I think those were both excellent points. And if I can jump in and suggest perhaps, and what I'm hearing is that it's It's those really small community-based services that are most at risk if we don't do this the right way. If we don't, like Michelle said, come together, 
as one voice in this process and everybody report. If our rural and small community-based um, services don't report, we won't have complete data. CMS will not get complete data and efforts like the add-ons that we spoke about earlier are going to be less likely to move forward in future years. And if we can succeed in getting CMS to appropriately adjust rates to reflect the true cost of performing and providing these services, if that data isn't included from our rural and small community-based organizations, those adjustments will not be reflective of the right data. So thanks for mentioning that, Maria, and you too, Michelle. This is such a critical um, moment in, in ensuring the sustainability of EMS as a whole, and especially in our community-based services. And actually, that's a great parallel to the ET3 study, where a number of people have said to me, but there's so few organizations doing it. And through the pandemic, we've proven that it can be done. My response, of course, as, as my good friend Hannon Cohen pointed out to me, is unless we do it with the Fed's in the Fed survey on the Fed's time, they won't accept the fact that the data is the data. And so we have to go through these processes. Uh, you know, some people may say it's like feeding the beast, right? But actually, it's a necessary evil to do this in order to prove beyond reasonable doubt, Your Honor, that actually we're worth what we're worth. And so if you're not, if you haven't read into the cost collection uh, survey data uh, stuff, I suggest you do. Um, the lists from CMS are published from year one all the way through year four now. And it's not only ambulance services anyone that is in receipt of federal funds and if you just look down the lists there is many city ofs county ofs boroughs of etc so you're not immune if you're out there and you're listening to this um you know even again if you're in the police one the fire one particularly the fire rescue one vertical and you're listening to this your fire department may not be listed but the city in which you're operating in may well be and therefore you're gonna have to to pony up the data to the city manager. And Rob, just, you know, a, a, two very quick plugs. I'm, I'm shameless. One is I don't want to forget that our many of our urban providers uh, do yeoman's work in terms of the medically underserved populations within their cities as well. And, and number two, uh, the AAA, thanks to a generous grant by the Savick Foundation, we actually have free cost collection education and a year free membership to the AAA. Um, those grants are available to everybody. You can find it on the AAA website. And I just, that's a shameless plug, but it really is important because learning how to do this well and right is a challenge. And we have access to free education and a free database, a free uh, uh, program, website based program uh, that people will be able to use to put in their numbers and then even upload it. Um, to an Excel spreadsheet and um, and then give it off over to uh, CMS. So I just wanted to make sure I said that out loud. Coming back to you, Amy, obviously we just kind of veered off onto politics, but it's a game for everybody, no matter who you are. And so do you have any legislative aims and ambitions within the fledgling association? At this point, like we talked about earlier, we're taking baby steps before we take over the world, Rob. Um, but... 
At the moment, we don't have any legislative aims. We're really trying to focus on those needs that were addressed in the survey data and the four pillars that WISE is, we call it WISE, by the way, Women in Emergency Services. Um, Those four pillars of empowerment, networking, education, and mentorship. And um, right now, what we really want to do is just provide provide our membership and women, even if you're not a, a member, but women in throughout this industry, throughout the industry of emergency services, providing those resources and getting those of us who can be involved in truly promoting um, women within their careers. We want to develop a really strong mentorship program, a formalized mentorship program where we can be matching women together at various levels of their career to help provide support and um, to help provide support for them as they grow and develop. We'd really like to offer education opportunities to women who might not otherwise have access to those opportunities. We want to build a really strong network of of women and men uh, who are champions of women in their their careers and will help them grow. And that's something that's also worth sidebarring on for a minute. You know, this association is not open to only women. We have um, a number of men who are who have joined our, this association, and um, and in fact, we also have a male founding advisor on on the association advisory committee, and we felt that was really important to, to help ensure representation across various um, genders, orientations, religions, backgrounds. You know, our, our our goal here is to increase diversity and inclusion within EMS. And um, we want anybody and everybody who would like to join, who supports this, um, the overall mission of women in emergency services. In accordance with your acronym, those were wise words, actually. And uh, let's also give a shout out to Scott Moore. Scott Moore is a frequent guest on the EMS One One Stop podcast. Uh, his expertise is uh, is remarkable, and uh, I always love having Scott on uh, to talk about. And don't forget, let's plug that one too. Don't forget just to check out uh, the recent retention survey. Again, another AAA partnership product. Uh, Maria, you're on fire with all this uh, this amazing stuff, by the way. Uh, so do check out that podcast. Do read those reports. And, of course, the article by one R. Lawrence in EMS One, because I've always got to write about it as well. Rob, one more thing. When I look at this group that are currently talking on this podcast, I see the partnership that we have with the California Ambulance Association and our workshop coming up. It's the first one that we're having in January is in a combined workshop with the California Ambulance Association. I look at the fact that Michelle is one of our faculty members for our cost collection education. Uh, I look at the fact that Amy and Michelle are hopefully going to help present at our annual conference on some women in leadership, uh, education and mentoring and training that we have by women, for women, with women. And Amy is a SAVIC Foundation board member who I just said generously supported our uh, cost collection education. 
And I, it goes to that proverb, you know, many hands make light work. So when you talk about, you know, why another association, when you talk about, you know, what, what, you know, we're all so busy, I think this is a perfect example of how synergistically associations can work together. They can have separate missions, but they can work together for the greater good of industries, of special interest groups, of um, uh, like minded individuals of um, interest areas. And I just wanted to point that out, how amazing it is to me that we can have our hands in in many, many things and help in many, many ways. That's an important thing to say. Uh, You'll remember a a few AAA conferences ago, you, you very kindly let me lead off and I talked about, you know, some of those big EMS elephants in the room. And I talked about the alphabet soup of national associations. And literally, you know, they were just, you know, began with A, ended in A. And that was that was the only thing they had in common. And of course, I have to say, since the pandemic, not only EMS organizations and associations, but also uh, you, you mentioned our work with uh, NAMT uh, and, the, and the fire organizations as well. This is coming together quite nicely in order to progress in the right direction. And I think, you know, it's important that uh, despite the fact we have many associations, as you say, with with varying aims, we have to hunt as a pack. Classic end of the podcast journalistic question. Is there anything I haven't asked you or anything you haven't told me? Sure, Rob, I can step in. Um, We want to remind folks that are listening out there that we have several sponsorship opportunities at the Women in Emergency Services Association. You know, uh, the founding advisors are all volunteers, but the people who are on the ground attending conferences, trying to grow our membership, trying to develop the programs that we feel really passionate about, they don't do this for free. And um, that's really important work. And so right now we are seeking various levels of sponsorship, primarily at the moment at the founding level. Um, our, our first founding sponsor, I'm happy to put the plug in for Paige Wolfberg and Worth. PWW and the team there has stepped up and very generously become our first founding sponsor. And we're really pleased and happy that they did that. We're very, very grateful Um That team is an incredible team, and they are indeed champions of the mission of women in emergency services. And in fact, almost all of their team members there and staff have become members of women in emergency services. So thank you to PWW. Um, And we're looking for more. We're looking for others and other potential partnerships out there um, so that we can get to work on on the mission of women in emergency services. Maria, there is one final thing you need to tell us, right? Yes, nominations are open for both the EMS Next Award as well as the EMS Vanguard Women Vanguard Award. So please go on the AAA website, nominate as many wonderful women leaders as you want in both categories, and they will remain open for the next uh, month or two. So please enter in your nominations now. In terms of contact and in terms of membership, firstly, Amy, how do we join? And then secondly, how do we get in touch with you and follow Thanks, Rob, for that. Yeah, again, we are trying to grow our membership here so that we can, we can offer everybody out there who's seeking these resources um, 
the ability to do so. So a couple of ways you can do that. You can head out to the Women in Emergency Services webpage at womeninemergencyservices.org. And there's a membership join button or join now button that you can just click directly. You can also contact any one of the founding advisors or the team at Civica via the email addresses that are listed on the webpage. Um, you can contact me at a noyak if you can figure out how to spell that, at womeninemergencyservices.org. Um, you can also contact Michelle or Scott or Martha or Andrea, um, and those, all of those email addresses are listed there. Maria, uh, we all know AAA, but uh, just give us all the contact details. Sure. If you want to get a hold of the American Ambulance Association, it's www.ambulance.org. And if you need to reach out to me directly, it's mbianchi, B-I-A-N-C-H-I, at ambulance.org. And uh, you can also reach us on the website. Just hit the chat button and somebody can respond immediately. So we'd love to hear from you. I want to encourage people to become a part of our community on our webpage. It's a great place that we have a lot of resources. It's it's kind of like a news feed for our members. So make sure that you get in there and join that and follow that. And there's lots of great um, content on there and, and engage with, with other members through that. And then how can we follow you and get in touch with you uh, on social media or email, Michelle? My email would be uh, manderson at womeninemergencyservices.org. You can reach me there. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. Great. And we'll put all of those contact details in the show notes for everybody and everything so you can follow along. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you all out there on the conference circuit and uh, looking forward to watching this organization grow. And when I get off this podcast, I'm going to apply to join. For the moment, uh, when we haven't heard the last from you guys, I know that. So Amy, Michelle, and Maria, thank you so much for joining me. And uh, hopefully you'll come back in in a little while and, and give us a progress report. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us, Rob. This was really a fantastic uh, few minutes to spend with you. Don't forget, by the way, you can follow me on uh, social media, on LinkedIn. Just go and look up my name, Rob Lawrence, or over on Twitter at UKRobL1. For the moment, really a great thank you to our guests from Women in Emergency Services. Wise, don't forget that. They're going to be very wise. Um, This has been EMS One Stop. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.